This is the Power to Podcast, show 110. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I am here in a different perspective. I am introducing Show 110 here, which is a extension of Show 109. So if you have not tuned into that, I highly recommend you tune into Show 109, where we jump into parent communication, but really stem the portion of our conversation that you you hear to in this episode. So Matt and I started off with the idea of running a hot take episode where I brought a topic to him and he asked me questions and I went through my thought process and then Matt did the same with me. And we felt like it produced a great product. We thought that it produced a great podcast. And, but in turn, we realized that we created two very different topics that we felt were very rich in conversation and went much further in depth than we had anticipated. So I made the decision to split that up into two shows. So when this episode starts, after you hear better from the hear from the Teach Better Network, it's going to feel like you're right in the middle of the conversation. And it's because you are. So the first part of that conversation, where we introduce the idea of the hot take and and start that, is in show 109, um, and where we talk about parent communication from my perspective now as a parent with with children in school. And in this one, we talk about. Uh, we talk about summative assessment. We really go in depth here. So I just wanted to offer that information real quick because it's going to seem very different when this when this show starts in just a few seconds. And like I said, check out show 109 if you have not already. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate your support. And if you have not already, visit our website at poweredup.com, become a member and stay informed with all of our latest shows, episodes, and guests. Mm-hmm. So enough about me. Let's put you in the hot corner. I feel like I need to like adjust my position right now. And I'm going to stand on my pedestal. And I, I would love, Ken, for you to talk me off this ledge related to assessment. Now, before I ask or, or bring up my statement, I will say that as a former learning support teacher, I spent a ridiculous amount of time administering norm referenced assessments and, you know, looking at baselines, identifying how much growth kids made compared to previous years and setting what are reasonable goals. That was the world of education. You know, Lexile comes out and adjusts their scale and totally ruins everything, right? Like uh, that was very, very evident of where are you compared to where you need to be. Totally in favor of that. On the flip side, on the day-to-day, formative assessment, I think, is the most helpful instructional tool. So my pedestal that I would love feedback on 
is why in the world there is an emphasis whatsoever for summative assessments. I'm really struggling right now, Ken, because I feel like we are adopting, at least at Pequoy Valley, a mastery-based report card, and we're not quite there yet. We don't have the, the things in place to completely adopt it. But in a mastery-based report card, the whole concept is you work at something until you've achieved mastery at it. It goes along with our MCL, Mass Customized Learning, where kids really don't have grade levels. They just kind of continue on their own pathway. And we had to take a step, you know, in a slightly different direction as we adopt a new curriculum and, and some other features. But I really am struggling with what the purpose of A, grades, but B, summative assessments. Because the only thing that I can reflect upon is summative assessments are distinctive grades for the report card. They are high stakes versions of low stakes assessments that determine overall understanding where you strip away all the accommodations very frequently and it is sometimes not related to instruction. Sometimes it's related to six weeks of instruction with no open notes. And I just, you know, I sit there and I, for years have said, the grade reflects this, but what I've seen in classroom is this. And all of the formative assessments, you know, the check-ins, the exit tickets, the, you know, ticket in the door, those type features show that their instruction their knowledge, their understanding is there. And then we take a very frequently a curriculum-based harsh assessment at the end of it. And boy, oh boy, it has questions that, you know, you and I struggle to answer and I'm teaching nine-year-olds. So do you see any purpose in it? You know, even if you were to go back to standards-based report cards, what is your view on summative assessments and where they would belong in your classroom right now? So I think <clears throat> depending on how much control and say you have in the summative assessment is going to strongly determine how valuable it truly is and how valuable you see it is. When it's a program-based Stand, when it's a program-based unit assessment that's being used to determine report card grades, I think it inherently has less value than it potentially could if it was not program-related. And so what I mean by that is whatever reading or math program you use, it comes with a standard unit assessment. There's six to 10 units throughout the year. You give those assessments and those determine grades. <clears throat> I, I had to give those. That was part of our program, especially in math. And I would say 60 to 80% of it was valuable to look at, to see what students were showing me that they understood. And I could use to continue to adjust my instruction moving forward in when bringing back those concepts. A lot of the questions I thought were stupid, were worded poorly, or were asking for a specific way to solve things that I'd found invaluable. And I was very clear with my students when one of those tests were coming up, I would give them a study guide and say, 
I want you to strictly, I want you to really pay attention to these. We're going to do these together because these are weird type questions you're going to see on the test that I don't think have value, but I have to give it to you and you have to take it and I want you to do well. And so I think my students hearing that I wasn't devaluing the program. I wasn't devaluing what our district was doing. I said, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to do things that you don't think are important that you may know are not important, but it's a requirement of you and you have to do well. And so that's, that's the same with any job that you can take on. There are things that come with a job that you love, but there are some things that you don't like. And the reality is you still have to perform well at those if you want to do all the things that you do like. And so that was like kind of part of the conversation with that. So that being said, if you do have say over what those summative assessments look like, I think they can continue to build more and more value. Looking at aligning it to eligible content, which aligns to st the state standardized test, which again, isn't the end all be all. But the thing that I will say, the more I dive into this and the more I coach teachers on this and work with my district on realigning our benchmarks and our unit assessments, yes, standardized test questions are confusing. Yes, multiple choice is not exactly real world applicable, but the questions are rigorous. They require them to apply multiple skills to be able to accomplish a task. And that's a part that I appreciate about those types of problems. And when you look at the algebra content, whether it's Common Core and Pennsylvania, we have PA Core, it gets them to start to apply those skills beyond just here's a multiplication problem, multiply to find your answer. It's a, here's a situation, what skills are you going to apply to solve that? And so I would say for some of assessment to be meaningful for me is twofold. One, it is it develops a rigor in the students to apply their skills without being explicitly told what skills they are to be applying. Or two, it's still going to offer me data that I can use to uh, circle back and review and build upon those skills. And so if it doesn't fall into e either of those, then that's where I would either A, challenge who's telling me to give it and say, can we look at this component here? Can we look at these five questions here? Or B, just understand that it is part of school. You have to adopt it. The kids have to adopt it and have those explicit conversations with the kids that, hey, here's, a, here's part of the school game that we have to play. Let's, let's prepare for these types of questions. All right. So I'm going to chime in because I, I agree, but that's the frustrating part. You know, how often do we actually get a say in those, you know, summative assessments is a lot less than I think we should. And if we did, you know, that's where project-based learning, I think we universally love giving choice. And if they want to take a, if a kid wants to take a traditional test, go take a test. But if a kid wants to prove their summative knowledge in a different method, you know, that is the the grounds of what us as educators, you know, are begging for. Is that hard to generalize, you know, across my grade level team or across my district? Absolutely. But that's where the teaching comes in of how do I prove the learning? And going back to that mastery, I think that's where it's dedicated. You know, what can really prove that they have acquired that entire skill and they, you know, they've got it. It's in that long-term memory. It's going to be able to be built on and it's not, you know, 
shallowly known. But the the harsh part that I'm I'm just so caught up on, as you mentioned, is it's just part of life. You know, it's just part of school. It's just part of you know the curriculum that you're expected to do. You know, I I gotta be honest, Ken. Like I don't have any problem with standardized testing. You know, it's part, that is where I'm okay with them having to do what we have to do that they don't like to do. They get compared to students across their district, across the state. And I absolutely love beginning, middle, and end of year testing that goes beyond just them goes beyond my school, goes beyond my district. You know, when we're compared to hundreds of thousands of fourth graders, where do they fall compared to that average or, you know, goal setting that, you know, we both believe in so heavily. I have no no issues with that whatsoever. I just really struggle with the, the curriculum that adopts realistically two major grades per unit, which is a mid-year test and an end of unit test as the only very obvious curricular grades. And there, you know, we're supplementing with, you know, check-ins and and easy points to kind of supplement. But, you know, there is nothing, absolutely nothing about a summative assessment that I look at that at the end and say, I just spent four weeks trying to teach this concept and they still got it wrong. Let me go spend, you know, a mini lesson further to try and clarify it. If they haven't gotten it over four weeks that, you know, I've dedicated time to doing it. Yeah. I know it's my responsibility to, to continue to try and teach a concept that's important, but there's also an idea that, you know, if they didn't get it yet, there's a reason why. And I probably in that passage passageway through formative assessment tried different, you know, attempts to teach that skill that it is not something that they are able to acquire at that time. I, I want to jump in here. Go ahead. Because I would argue that if it, with the example you're giving, you should know if you are formative, formatively assessing your students, you should know that they're not going to succeed on the summative assessment. Correct. Right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, I, I'm not, okay, dis- so, I'm so, not disagreeing with that. Yeah. Right. So, so what I would say is in, in relation to that formative assessment piece and the summative assessment, I would always say to my students, neither of us should be surprised when this grade comes back because Correct. I've assessed you. I know where you're at. You've, ass- and you've been a part of that data conversation. So you should know where you're at. So what I would say is if you feel there is a discrepancy between what you believe a student possesses in their skills and what a, what a summative assessment is showcasing that they possess, then that's a conversation that you have with administrators to say, here's evidence of mastery of this skill with this group of students. And yet this summative assessment is not correlating to that. Here's evidence that I have to show that they understand this set of skills or this set of knowledge. And again, this summative assessment is not showing that. I want to evaluate how this summative assessment is constructed to see if there's a better way to have a better understanding of all the students that understand this this skill set. If 
you if it does match what you expected of them, then I would just argue to say that yes, you do need to continue to circle back and and give them more time or find ways to to have them understand that skill. Whether it could be revisiting the next day or it could be revisiting it three weeks later, that summative assessment is that marker for you, <clears throat> that that final marker for you that these students don't possess these skills yet. And it's my job to get them there. It's just not going to change their grade. Like that's totally. the part that I don't necessarily yeah. agree with on a moral standpoint, but it's still, well, the whole point is to teach them. Yeah. And I, I guess the main point that I'm, I'm really coming to is, you know, when we look at summative assessments, we usually want to see what they're as a regular ed teacher, what they're able to do, you know, kind of purely. It's not usually an open book book test. It's not something that you're providing the same accommodation. So, you know, if my kids are working on multiplication skills and the summative assessment tells them how they have to complete it, when I've said that they can choose their own, you know, method, that's a different story. That's, that's the frustration part where I say, you know, we've probably come up with an accommodation or a modification that allows you to have access to this information. And in math class, that might be a calculator or a multiplication chart that they have to fill out or whatever the case may be. We probably worked through it and maybe you didn't for the summative assessment. There, I would love to meet an educator that can tell me, oh, I got to April and I covered all of my curriculum in time so I can go back and you know spiral review so many of these concepts I understand when you have an RTII or a win or a, you know, uh, enrichment and intervention time built into your day, but there's also a portion of having the pressure to move on to other curricular items that the information you're getting from a summative assessment, you tried your best to accommodate throughout that entire unit that spiraling back to it when you really need to move into a new unit of study is it's ideal to spiral back, but is it realistic? I think we all would recognize that we would love to get to that point of mastery, but we also have to move on at some point as well and consider maybe developmentally or a different connection or a different voice may tighten up that perspective but the value that you get from a summative assessment is not going to change how you go and teach the next day, most likely. I disagree with that. Uh, you're wrong. You're wrong. No, I, I can't. Here's why. I can't say that you're wrong, but I, that is that is where I. That's why I'm struggling with it. Here's where I just think. You, uh, here's where I think you need a, perhaps just a, a shift in perspective. All assessments are the same. They're all the same. They deter. They. We create it, hopefully, no, now some are not necessarily like you're saying about, you know, the way they solve a problem. Totally. Like I, I find that to be ineffective. Yep. There are ineffective questions or ineffective assessments, but all assessments are constructed to do the same, to determine whether or not someone understands the content, whether it's skill-based, knowledge-based, whatever, whether it's a performance-based, it's a written test, it's multiple choice. It, it's still, you could all put it under the umbrella of, it is created to determine whether or not the person understands this this skill or content. Okay. So <clears throat> the difference between formative and summative in the teacher's perspective in the teacher lingo is the formative helps us adjust instruction, instruction. The summative shows up on the report card and that's the end of it. 
that's where I disagree. The summative is the one that is going to show up on the report card because that's what you're required to do. Great. However, as you move into that new unit, you're going to have, and you're building in time for independent work. If you're building in time for small group instruction where you're targeting a skill and then students are working on other components, it's very easy and makes it easier for us to build in review in those stations, in those independent activities, in the independent checklist. Use the summative assessment to target that review instruction. So you can say, okay, one of the review skills that I want to circle back to, even though it's completely unrelated to what I'm teaching right now, is this skill. Let me pull up that summative assessment that I gave a month ago, because we haven't really revisited it in the last month. And let me see who struggled with it. Okay, let's say it's five kids. All right, well, what can I do with them? I need to reteach them. So maybe it's a screencast, or maybe it's let me pull these five that I saw in the summative and I remember they were experts at that. I'm going to have them pair up and part of their independent work during small group instruction is going to be this set of students teaching this set of students. So now they're getting that different voice. Maybe that will be the click for them. But at the very least, what you've done is you've forced a set of students to reaffirm their skill and re-solidify that skill that's essential to fourth grade, fifth, fifth grade, ninth grade standards. They had it. Now I'm just circling it back and reaffirming that. And I'm giving those other students another shot. And so what I'm saying is I agree with so many things that you're saying about the ways summative assessments are not valuable. But what I, what I disagree with is that we can't find value in it. We can use it to adjust future instruction. It just looks different than how we immediately use the formative. So let me so let me clarify because you're making points that I don't want to validate, but they are decent. Considering using that formative assessment, that you probably use some of the similar strategies to reach students in variety of ways, whether it is through rotations where they're having access, you know, to classmates clarifying for them independently listening visual kinesthetic all these different features is probably embedded in a great classrooms formal teaching of that concept the hard part is you know uh, in linear math i think it it would be really difficult if they don't have number sense to move on to algebraic concepts but classically i don't know if you feel this way you know or maybe you don't know. Geometry is very classically the last unit we teach in math. In most of the programs I've ever done, what is the skill that we never get to? We always run out of time to cover geometry. So we're like, oh, this shape's a square, this one. Uh, here's a, a, you know, a formula for area and perimeter, best of luck, and hopefully you do. Oh, protractor, don't worry about it. There's only two questions on it. That classically, curricularly, is a neglected concept. And maybe that's not, I don't want to say that that's universal and it should be integrated. I get it. But that's a perfect example of, yeah, if my kids can't identify rounding and place value, yeah, it's going to be difficult to add and subtract and multiply and divide. I understand not being able to move on. In ELA, when we're transitioning from a poetry unit straight into a historical fiction or 
the concept of uh, biographies, those type features, a totally different set of structure and tone and these features, I need to move in some capacity. And there is definitely carryover in reading and comprehension, but you need to move on. If I, in science unit, taught one unit on electricity and then transitioned to ecosystems, there's probably not an opportunity for me to spiral back to electricity in such a drastically different concept. I guess what I'm saying is under the perspective that you spent a considerable amount of time with good teaching practices, the value to us as teachers is hard to justify if you gave it your all during that formal instruction through formative assessments, through different teaching practices, that if at the end of it, realistically, all I'm taking is a grade to put on the report card, because that is reality, most likely all that it's serving you. And then add the factor, you didn't create that summative assessment based off how you taught it. You didn't really have input and maybe you omitted some questions. I'm not saying that it there's anything totally wrong with it. What I'm saying is, is our value of it, our point weighted system and the helplessness real of realistic teaching is I would love to never move on to a new concept until everyone got it. But that is not realistic. And that hurts my heart to say. Well, I, I, it's not realistic, but at the same time, that's not what's, that isn't what's best for your kids. Because if you waited until everyone got it, you would be, you would be stifling those that do, that do get it. And so, you know, I do, obviously, student-centered learning, if you've ever listened to this show before, is a huge passion of mine. I do a lot of presenting on it. I do a lot of consulting on it, working with with other districts. And the, the I, I, often when I'm, sh when I'm showcasing things that I've done in my classroom or they start really questioning me about what it looked like and they really start diving deep into what <clears throat> my fifth grade classroom looked like, I almost am always ask the question, how did you do unit assessments? And... They ex they're expecting me to say, based on the way my classroom was so personalized, to say, oh, well, everybody was on their own personal trajectory and they kind of, they worked at their own pace. That is, could not be further from the truth. Every single student, it was probably the only time of the year, every single student in my classroom took the unit assessment on the exact same day. And that was probably because that was a a logistical piece that I had to accommodate based on my district's expectation for pacing and for assessment and whatever else you want to throw in there. Did I always hit those unit assessments based on pacing? Not in the beginning of the year. I was often behind getting my kids under to, you know, comfortable with the learning style. And then we would pick up the pace and we would, we would catch up naturally just because of the, the structure of the classroom. But Every single student took that assessment on the same day in the same time. And, you know, like I was saying, if you waited till everyone was ready, well, you'd be stifling those that are ready. So that's, I truly think something that can be beneficial for you, Matt, right now, and for anyone feeling the same as you, which is probably 98% of teachers, is I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. 
but I feel like you're allowing your frustrations to hinder an opportunity for finding value in it. And I, I think there's always things in life that we can look at and say, this is a waste of time. And then we get no value from it. This is not something I want to be at. We get no value from it. Um, and so I, I do think there are so many reasons that make unit-based, curriculum-based, or I won't say curriculum-based, program-based unit summative assessments highly ineffective. I could rattle off a list of 100 reasons why I find them ineffective. The easiest one is this was made by someone somewhere in the country to apply to the whole country, not to my kids in front of me right now. So I know that this assessment is not best for my students. However, like I said, there just are some logistical constrictions that we have as teachers. There are logistical constrictions that we have as as adults, as Pennsylvanians, as Americans, as humans, right? It's just part of being a person. And so instead of focusing on those frustrations, what I would encourage is focus on, again, what can I pull from this? This is a, this is a, a checkpoint in the year to say, okay, here's the formal assessment. These are the kids that get these skills and break it down by skill. And these are the kids that don't. And so as this topic can naturally come back into the classroom or I have to force it back into the classroom, I'm going to look back at this single data marker to tell me where they're at. And when you get to that, it might have changed, but at least you're using something to base that, that assumption on. I guess my, my final part of this is all I care, all, all that I'm trying to bring this up is to acknowledge our weight that we associate with summative assessments. Like you said, I, I, don't, I don't have any question testing a kid's long-term retention of what I taught them. I have no issue with, you know, it's been a while. How well did they really understand it? I think there's value there. The hard part is when I'm doing exit tickets of two to six points each, and then they do a summative assessment of 40 to 60 points. And that's naturally how it's structured. And some curriculums don't require me to have formative assessments to adjust grades mm -hmm. that actually input. Like I look at a, a, an exit ticket and that is our opening the next day. If there is a misconception mm -hmm. that totally changes the trajectory trajectory then most likely, you know, I complete a summative assessment. You would yell at me for saying that it's not done digitally, that they could get automatic feedback. And, you know, you're presenting it a week and a half later, um, realistically, and you've moved on to bigger and brighter things at that point. Right. You're not going to. So is, is, is part of what you're saying that you could have students that are quote unquote succeeding on a daily basis in your classroom turnaround comes summative assessment, don't do so hot mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Yep. And now <clears throat> you feel as though you're looking at a B plus student, but they have a C on their report card. I think uh, entering this conversation, I, I 
will vocalize very frequently. I couldn't care less about grades. Um, grades really don't matter. And no, I, I agree. But, but what, the kid's still going to see it on the report card. Well, but and but, the parent and the parents are going to question are going to question that too. So is that part of what you're saying about the waiting? Is that what you were referencing? I don't know if I want to put this out there, but you know, Ken, have you ever changed a grade that when all the numbers balanced out, they didn't reflect what you thought yes. they deserved? I, I would not even hesitate to answer yes. So what I would say is. If that, if you feel as though, so a lot of, depending on where you're teaching, some sometimes the way grades are constructed by subject, especially, well, universally, yeah. There's there's a expectation of like homework is worth this percentage, and you know tests are worth this percentage, and then there's the these are unit assessments. This is the only way your grade is created. Or these are the unit assessments. They're worth 60 points. You can do other activities that are worth five points. So there's constraints put on. So what I would say is if you are finding through the way you are being forced to grade things, if you feel that there is a discrepancy between the grade that students are going to see on their report card versus the, versus the, uh, volume of work you have that shows their understanding or mastery of a content, if there's a discrepancy, what I would encourage you to do is pull out that student, that case study or the couple students and present it to an administrator and say, I want you to look at this body of work and, and tell me what grade you think this student should get. Right. And then have that conversation because I guarantee you, Every single administrator would probably agree with you. They, that is something that is so far off of an administrator's radar. The way a fourth grade student's math grade is tabulated is so far off their radar. And so if, there, if that discrepancy is existing, then I would encourage you to, to present that in a way to show, here's the issue that I'm dealing with. This type of student is not is not going to get a grade that they deserve on the report card. So I would venture to say, and this is might drive you crazy, you know, if I see in a formative assessment a kid doesn't get a concept, and I am able to provide instruction to him or her that is specific to the area of deficit. I'll use math as a very obvious example. If a kid is doing long division, and they cannot get the order right. I recognize that from the formative assessment, whether that's body language or a physical completion of classwork, you know, whiteboards, and they keep on getting the answer wrong. Some of them, they turn in those type features. I would venture to say that my responsibility is to make sure I address it. Not necessarily that I feel like I need to assess it again. And so... If I need to take 10 minutes and see the light bulb go off, then I've already addressed it. If I can circle back and, you know, 25 minutes later or two days later, see if they really retained it, that's great. But if I took formative assessments, I acknowledged a deficit, I addressed that deficit in some capacities, I have done my professional responsibility for that child to address it in a way that I felt like was most personalized, that I saw them see success. And that is a check mark in my brain. I don't need to sit there, you know, including five, six bonus questions that are sprinkled in the next two weeks. 
I don't need to. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying that I don't need to. But I should be able to say at the end, we addressed all the deficits that led to the summative assessment. And as you were mentioning, that grade tabulation, you know, it can reflect however I want it to reflect. And I can override it in any way that I feel like I can justify. And that's a that's the privilege of us being teachers that, you know, have taught for 10, 15 plus years. That's hard to do as a three-year teacher. You need the data to prove it. But I feel like at this point, I can sit and justify that I know this kid and the efforts that I put in to share why I adjusted the grade to what it represents on the report card. I don't know, Ken. I just, I, uh, the weight, the focus, the, the lack of flexibility, those features are driving me crazy in a current curricular world where I feel like you could go through 14, 15, 16 lessons. And there are some curriculums that only ask you to grade the summative assessment. And that is bonkers to me. Absolutely crazy. And that's why it's my hot take of let's get rid of them all. Replace them with projects or prove it's or whatever the case may be. Utilize formative assessments. Teach and learn and strive to develop formative assessment tactics that actually allow you to access do they get it or not. It doesn't always have to be high order thinking questions. It can be straightforward questions. Do you know this fact or not? Do you know this definition term or not? That That's fine. But what can you do quickly to address your kids' needs? Because that's what we all want to do. And then we move on to the next thing because we kind of have to. I agree. And, and I, I think that striving towards performance-based, action-based, uh, challenge-based assessments is a way to go. But at the end of the day, what I will, what I will still say is if that's, if you replace the style of assessment, it's still a checkpoint marker. Do they get it or not? And you're going to have students that don't get it. And it is, there are ways to use that checkpoint data marker to continue to impact instruction. And so I agree that by making it challenge-based, you're increasing the rigor and you're increasing the opportunity for more students to be successful because they can showcase their learning versus trying to figure out. I mean, there's so many layers we could put in here. Like the impact of reading has on math and science tests is profound, right? Because there's so much reading in those complicated questions. So there's so many layers that that would venture towards and lean towards why performance-based and challenge-based and project-based is so important. But at the end of the day, that summative assessment is just a, we'll say it's a darker line <laughs> to remember, right? It's still a data marker to continue to think about as you as you approach instruction. So I appreciate your questions. I appreciate what you're asking. And I think it's something that we all battle with at times. And I honestly don't really disagree with anything that you're saying. I think my perspective is just the perspective of take with what you got and, and run with it find the value in something that you don't think is completely valuable versus just saying this is completely invaluable. 
Fair points. I will chalk it up to that. There is benefits. We all can see that. But it, and just focus on those. Well, just focus on those. Well, and I, I would just venture to say that if you do have a curriculum like that, you can figure out ways to supplement grades too. And yeah. really good teachers know their students' abilities. Mm-hmm. And I would dangerously say if you need to adjust a score please do not adjust it just so you don't have parents banging down your doors that is not you know teacher discretion but when it comes to assessments you see the kids and how they perform every single day in class Um, and and I'll tell you there are more times that I'm shocked by formative assessment results than I am from summative assessment results right yeah, I would agree with that. All right, Matt. Well, as we power down this episode, who knows if we, we left our audience feeling powered up. I think it was valuable, authentic, critical conversation that we need to have as teachers. So if a teacher doesn't have the opportunity to have this conversation and be real, hopefully hearing us banter, argue, disagree, and agree back and forth can be valuable for them to to help pull meaning from it and, and make decisions on how they're going to adjust and, and maintain their perspective. I couldn't agree more, buddy. We'll talk to you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.